0: Would you please open with me to Mark chapter 5? Have you ever known someone you considered to be a hopeless case? Someone you thought could never change or would never change? Maybe he was a drug dealer. Maybe she was a drug addict. Or maybe he was the town drunk. Some guy who left his wife and kids. Someone who had been divorced more times than you can remember. Someone who physically or sexually abused children. Someone involved in sex trafficking. Someone who had an abortion or several. Someone addicted to internet pornography. A murderer. A rapist. An embezzler, a perpetual liar, someone who couldn't open his mouth without cussing, someone who couldn't have a conversation without gossiping. Did somebody come to your mind? Maybe someone came to your mind who you would have considered a hopeless case. And it's possible that for some of you, the person who came to mind was you. Until God saved you by his grace. But regardless of who came to your mind, I have good news this morning. I was rattling off some of what we would consider major sins in our society today, in our culture. Well, Paul had a list like that. This is from 1 Corinthians 6. You don't have to turn there. But he said, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. He has this list, long list of sins and sinners, if you will. And then I love what comes next. This is verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed You were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Whether you ever committed one of those big sins, everybody here has committed some sin. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you are his child by faith, he has rescued you from that and from the penalty that was due, that sin. And that is good news. If you don't get anything else that I say this morning, because believe it or not, I have five main points today. But if you don't get anything else, before we get to any of that, I want you to remember something. There are no hopeless cases with Jesus. None. Zero. Not you, not that person you thought of a minute ago. There are none. No hopeless cases. There's no one beyond the reach of His grace. If any, by His grace, will turn to Him. Come to Him. He, he's there with open arms, ready. He's ready for us to come to him, to come back to him. We're in a section of Mark that we began last week, and it's four miracles. The first one was calming the storm at sea. Those of you who are here for that, we we talked about that at great length. That was the end of chapter four. And the second is today, this is a a demon-possessed man who is going to be healed, cleansed, rescued, by Jesus, and then next week we will talk about physical illness and death. And I I shared with you Warren Wiersbe's outline with his D's that he is victorious over danger, over demons, over disease, and over death. So if that helps you remember it, great. We're on the second section of that today. We're translating from the natural storm that he supernaturally calmed This is the the demon realm. This is the supernatural realm. And he's going to prove himself victorious over this as well. If you look, if you have your Bible open, you can see the end of the previous chapter, verse 41. The disciples had asked a question. And they said, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this guy? And today they get an answer, a really good answer. But it comes from a really surprising place. So I'm going to read this to us. Hopefully you've had a chance to find Mark 5. If you would stand while I read this passage, we're going to look at these first 20 verses together. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains." Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, "'What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God?' I implore you, by God, that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now, a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. And all the demons begged him, saying, "'Send us to the swine that we may enter them.' And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting, and clothed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed, and about the swine, and they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Let's pray together, please. Lord, what an amazing God you are. You are a rescuer. You are a deliverer. You are the one who breaks chains and releases from bondage. And Lord, there are no hopeless cases with you. So may that give us hope and encouragement today. Lord, again, we are coming to a familiar passage from Mark's Gospel but we ask you to make it fresh for us today because we know that your word is alive and we know your word is powerful and we ask that you would allow it to do what you want it to do in each of us today. Holy Spirit, would you empower me to teach accurately what you have for us? Would you give ears to hear, hearts ready to change that we would respond to and act on Whatever you show us from your word today, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Going back to verse 1, we're going to cover the first eight verses with this first point. So some of you like to write this down, you will see them throughout, but here are the first three. Jesus welcomes hopeless cases. He welcomes them. Bring it on. Jesus is stronger than Satan and demons. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that. Three, Jesus cares more about people than pigs. And you could say animals, but that's what the story has. He cares more about people than he does about pigs. He created both, but he cares more about people. We'll talk about it. Number four, some people don't want to be with Jesus. But number five, some people do want to be with Jesus. So we have to figure out which group we're in right now. Back to verse 1, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. Who's they? Jesus and his twelve disciples. The other side of the sea. Well, that's what Jesus had promised last week. Where they are now is the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus told them that they would cross over to the other side. And sure enough, here they are. Gadarenes, likely, if you have something other than a King James or New King James, you have Gergesenes or Gerasenes. You have a different word. That's okay. It'd be kind of like saying, if, if I'm talking to somebody who's not from here, then I'll tell them I'm from coastal North Carolina or I'm from Wilmington, even though I don't live in Wilmington. I live in Leland. Or if they know the area a little bit better, then I'll tell them Leland or I'm in northern um, Brunswick County. If they know it really well, then I'll say, I live in Winnibow. Okay. So we kind of get to that point. It's a different way to describe the same area. The country of the Gatherings. Now they're coming off A crazy night with a storm that they thought was going to drown and kill them. And it's morning. And they made it through. And they're getting out on the other side. And they're about to encounter a different kind of storm in the form of a person, a man, who is demon-possessed. Look at verse 2. And when he had come out of the boat, in my translation, he is capitalized, when Jesus had come out of the boat, immediately, there's Mark's favorite word, there met him out of the tombs, A man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles had been broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. This is the most detailed and I think the longest description we have of someone demon possessed in the Bible. He's describing stuff that is horrific to us, or or should be. But how does Mark describe this person? There met Jesus out of the tombs, a man. If you mark in your Bible, you can underline or circle or box, a man, because that's who Jesus saw. Everyone else saw a hopeless case. Everyone else saw a monster or a freak show, and Jesus saw a man. And had compassion on him. Where did he come from? Out of the tombs. There were burial chambers, caves. In the cliffs there. By the sea. And that's where they buried people. And even in unbelievers. In in the Gentile world. It would be abnormal to want to hang out in the graveyard. But to most of the disciples. All the disciples were coming from Israel. Israel. They were from one of the 12 tribes. So it was horrible to think of someone who wanted to live in death. That was one of the highest, if not the highest, ways you could become unclean form of defilement. And it was obvious that there was something very wrong with this person that he wanted to live there in the tombs. And immediately, Mark gets to the point of why he's living in the tombs. Yes, there's something wrong. This is a man with an unclean spirit. And we've seen that term several times already. He is demon-possessed. What is a demon? A demon is a fallen angel. Satan was created as a holy angel. He rebelled. And many, we think about a third of the angels, rebelled with him. And those we commonly refer to as demons, or here in the Gospel of Mark, they're usually called unclean spirits. And they have indwelt this person. Think of what his life would have been like. He was living in isolation by himself. He had no friends to hang out with. He had no family to be with. They probably were afraid if they saw him coming. The demon's main goal was to destroy this man. And obviously he had been fairly successful. He, he was well on his way to destroying him. Because we know that one of Satan's names is destroyer. John 10.10, Jesus is speaking and says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And then i got to say the contrast because I'm not going to leave you there. I have come, Jesus said, that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus brings life. Satan brings death and destruction. Those of you who are here for our study in Revelation may remember in chapter 9, verse 11, the demon locust. Remember that sermon? Wasn't that a fun study? They had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, which means destruction, but in Greek has the name Apollyon, which means destroyer. That is Satan's identity. That's his name. That's his task. He wants to destroy, he wants to counterfeit or oppose anything God does. God is the creator. God is the giver of life and sustainer of life. So what does Satan want to do? He wants to attack that life. In the case of demons, and I came across this several places this week, but this is how the ESV study Bible put it. The goal of demons is to destroy. To destroy what? To destroy a person. Why? Because he or she is created in the image of God. We understand that from Genesis. God is the creator, and he created man and woman. He created male and female, remember? He created humans to be in his image. Angels weren't created in God's image. It's not stated that way in Scripture. They are spirit beings, and they were to do God's will and to worship Him. But they were not created in God's image. Humans were created in God's image to have authority over the other creatures. Remember, Adam named them. So Satan is jealous of that. He wanted to do whatever he could to destroy that and in the case of Adam and Eve, they sinned, they fell. He introduced them to evil. And ever since, he and his demon forces have attempted to destroy and mar the image of God in people. And that's what this demon, we're going to find out it's multiple demons, I know, but that's what this demon was doing. More about the man. No one could bind him, even with chains. The suggestion here is that he can pull him apart, superhuman strength. Some of you adults or kids may be into superhero stuff. It's that idea. Unbelievable strength. Where's it coming from? It's coming from the demon that's inside him. He was crying out, shrieking, screaming, and cutting himself with stones, a little flint. He probably would have had scars and even bleeding sores. He would have been a mess. All the time. Because this demon is set on destroying him. We find out from the book of Luke that he didn't wear any clothes. Either he had only scraps of clothes on or he was stark naked. And that's how he lived. In the tombs, up on the mountains, shrieking, crying, day and night, cutting himself with stones. And you would think that's crazy, but it's not just crazy. It's evil, it's demonic. He is being influenced by a demon to do these things to himself because Satan, through these demons, is attempting to mar, destroy, distort God's image. To us and to anybody there, to the 12 disciples, he looked like a hopeless case. He was a hopeless cause. He's a lost cause. Let's just get out of this area. We never should have come. I, in my own imagination, this is not in scripture, in my own imagination, the disciples are getting out of the boat, Jesus getting out of the boat, and there's a naked crazy man shrieking and running toward them. And at that point they said, let us go to the other side. That's what I think they said. Get back in the boat. Let's leave. And this guy is running Toward Jesus. And Jesus isn't scared. I think he was probably standing there calmly. He knew what was about to happen. He knew who the guy was. He knew why he was naked and living in the tombs and cutting himself and shrieking. And he calmly stood there. Why? Because first point, Jesus welcomes hopeless cases. Verse six says, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshiped him. Now, when it says worshiped him, it's not probably what we would normally think of worship. Literally, it means to kiss the hand or to kiss the ring. It is the same way whoever the president may be at the time, if the president walked in the room or some other dignitary, you would probably stand up in respect. He's showing respect to Jesus. We know that James chapter 2, verse 19 says that Demons believe. And how do they respond when they believe? They tremble. So this demon possessing this man is running toward him, but he falls down prostrate, doing homage, acknowledging his authority. Verse 7, he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. When it says he cried out with a loud voice, he shrieked, he howled. Before he ever started speaking in intelligible language, he is making horrible sounds. And his voice may have sounded very horrible as well. I'm not going to try to imagine or imitate what that may have sounded like. I don't know. But he says, what do I have to do with you? That's similar to a statement we saw back in chapter 1. It means, what business do we have in common with each other? What business do we have with each other? And what does he call him? Jesus, son of the most high God. This is the most complete name of Jesus as God's son that we've had so far in the book of Mark. And it's coming from a demon-possessed guy. This man, most likely, had never met Jesus. But the demon's living inside him, would have recognized Jesus. Why? Because he created them. God created everything that we see, that we know. And Jesus is God. And he created the angels. And we don't know all the time frame. We can try to guess. But we know that they were created, probably before the creation of the world, and that they fell, obviously, before Adam and Eve sinned. And he's saying... What do we have to do with each other? Jesus, Son of the Most High God. There may be something else going on here that wouldn't be obvious to us. And that is that back in this culture, they had some superstitious ideas about demons and how do you cast out a demon and and what has to be done. And in that culture, to use, to know, and to use the full name, the real name of someone, is to exercise power over him. So the demon may have been trying to power up here and intimidate Jesus by using his full name and having mastery over him. You may have read or heard that the, the priests and others of that time who would try to exercise, remove demons out of people, would often try to get the demon to tell them its name so that they could command the demon. That may be what's going on here. And what does he say? Do not torment me. He's scared. He's quaking in his boots. He also is slandering Jesus because is Jesus tormenting anybody? Is Jesus torturing anybody? No. Is the demon torturing somebody? Uh Uh-huh. But he's accusing. What else is Satan described as? The accuser of the brethren. And he's accusing Jesus of torture, of torment. He also has an idea that there's a final destruction coming to him. We read in Revelation that Satan knows his time is short. We know from reading the Bible how it ends. Well, I suspect that they can read it, probably in more languages than we can. They know what the end of the story is. And he may have thought, this is it. This is my judgment day. I don't know. Verse 8 gives us the detail that Mark hasn't told us yet. He said to him, Jesus said to him, come out of, here it is, the man, unclean spirit. He's already instructed the demon, come out. The, the verb tense suggests that Jesus may have said it more than once. Come out of the man. Come out of the man. Well, why isn't the demon obeying? Doesn't the demon have to obey Jesus? Is this demon stronger or a harder case than others? Well, the second point I've given you is that Jesus is stronger than Satan and his demons, and we know that, but why is this playing out the way it is? I think it's for our instruction and really his disciples instruction to know what's really going on probably for the townspeople's instruction verse 9 says then he asked him what is your name and he answered saying my name is legion for we are many when jesus asked him was he asking the man or was he asking the demon i don't know i think it's the demon based on the, the previous noun what is your name And certainly the demon answers, either way, whoever he was asking. Did Jesus need to know this? Did he want to know this? He already knew this. He knew his name. So why ask the question? Why say, What is your name? Because of the answer? The answer is Legion. Well, what's that? That's a Roman group of troops, it's the largest one. And There are various numbers at different times under different Caesars, but it was over 6,000 most of the time. It's a big number. Over 6,000. Now, does that mean that this man was possessed by 6,000 or more demons? Not necessarily. What is another description of Satan? Satan is a liar and the father of lies. And again, it seems that this demon is trying, he can't truly disobey christ but he's he's trying to manipulate he's trying to save himself as best he can so he may be trying to convince jesus that i am powerful we are an army we're ready to fight you you're just one man we are many how many i don't know we know in terms of mary of magdala that jesus had cast out seven demons from her there are other references in the book of Acts to seven demons. I don't know how many demons there were. Well, there were multiple demons, that much I'm sure of. And they were resisting, trying to resist Jesus' orders. Again, the superstitious folks of that day have just heard that the demon, the, the demon-possessed man, has said, Jesus, given him his name and therefore has authority. Well, Legion also may have been an avoidance of giving the true name. Maybe his name wasn't Legion, but he just wanted to know there are a lot of us here. And so some of them may have thought, okay, well, this demon or this group of demons has the upper hand on Jesus. Well, that's not the case. And you see that from his other reactions, the demon's other reactions. Verse 10, also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. If you're in a position of strength and you're winning this battle, you don't beg, do you? So he's really trembling. This group of demons is terrified of what Jesus is going to do with them, and they are begging not to send them. Okay, the leading demon is calling himself legion, and he's now begging on behalf, he's the spokesman for the group. He's begging Jesus not to send them out of the country. Isn't that a weird thing? Why out of the country? Well, the parallel account, I believe it's Luke, says into the abyss. That's probably what they were really afraid of. This is judgment day. We're being thrown into the bottomless pit. This is it for us. That's what would have scared them the most. But we also know from the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel says that demons in the spirit world have specific territories. Gabriel told Daniel about the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. In that context, it seems that those are demons, those are satanic beings. And also mentioned that Michael is, he's the archangel, but he is also the protector of the angel for the people of Israel, God's special people. So it could be, I'm not, I don't know for sure, it could be that this group of demons was assigned to this area in whatever hierarchy they had. We read about principalities and powers and so on and so forth, the powers of darkness in this world. It could be that this was home base for them and if if they're out of place, then they're in even bigger trouble with their demon bosses. I don't know. But here's where we learn point three, Jesus cares more about people than he does about pigs. Verse 11, Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. And it was occurring to me this morning, how or why did they notice the pigs? I think they smelled them. My, my uncle was a pig farmer, and those of you, you, you know what some of the chicken houses and pig houses smell like around here. So I think they could smell them, even though they were a long way off. And all the demons, verse 12, here it is again, begged him, saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. So from here on out, the demons are referred to as plural. It kept going back and forth, singular plural. Now it's always plural. Send us. That's interesting. They are asking to be sent into the swine. They don't have control over that. They need Jesus' permission. He said, get out of of the man. But they don't have control over where they go. Who does? Jesus. So they say, send us. They're trying to get permission to go into the swine. What were pigs doing there? Remember, this is more of a Gentile area. We went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. We're on the eastern shore now. Decapolis, other towns and cities, primarily Gentile. So it may be Gentiles, and they wouldn't have had any rules about pigs, but the pigs weren't supposed to be there in the land that God had promised Israel. Or it could be that these were Hellenist Jews, those who were following Greek culture, and they they weren't trying to keep the law. They didn't care. They just wanted to make a buck. And so they're... Raising pigs. Either way, this group who was raising pigs in this area didn't care about the law. That much we're sure about. And verse 13 says, at once, immediately, Jesus gave them permission. Permission to do what? To leave the man and go into the pigs. It doesn't say why. Why was that okay? I don't know. You don't know either. And there are people who will criticize what happens next. The herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So people say, Jesus was mean here. He was destroying other people's property. He was, this is theft, this is vandalism, this is destruction, whatever. To which I would ask, who destroyed the pigs? The demons destroyed the pigs. Let's not get too sidetracked on that argument. Do I understand completely why Jesus allowed them to do that. No, I don't. But we need to understand that God cares more for people, human beings, whom he created in his image than he does for the rest of his creation. Do I like the animal kingdom that God created? Yes. Some of it's fascinating, some of it's beautiful, some of it's cool, some of it just makes me scratch my head how or why or what is the purpose of that creature. But all of it God has, in his order, made subject to people. Jesus loves the creatures he created. They are for his glory. They bring him pleasure. But he didn't come and die on the cross for pigs or goldfish or ducks or anything else. So Jesus cares more about the people and this person in particular, this individual he came to rescue and to deliver from demon oppression and possession than he does about the pigs. Now next we find out about the people of the area, verse 14. We're going to see that some people don't want to be with Jesus. They want him to leave. They don't have anything to do with him. So those who fed the swine fled. Those who were hired to look after the pigs ran away. And they told it in the city and the country, and they went out to see what it was that happened. They didn't want to be blamed. Yes, we were watching 2,000 pigs, and they're gone. They're dead. They don't want to get blamed, so they go and they start telling everybody, here's what happened, here's how it went down. And it says they told it in the city, they told it in the country, they told it everywhere. Anybody who would listen, they're telling. And the group came out to see what had happened. Verse 15, then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting. He's no longer in the tombs and on the mountains and running around all over the place. Clothed, he's no longer naked. Where do you get clothes? I don't know. Perhaps one of the disciples had an extra tunic. But it says he's clothed. And he's in his right mind. Literally, he is self-controlled. Something this man has not experienced in a long time. That's what the other gospels tell us. He'd been this way a long time. So here he is. I I picture him sitting at Jesus' feet. He's clothed. He's in his right mind. He's thinking clearly. He is self-controlled. He's not being forced by the demons to scream and to cut himself further and to do damage to himself. He was, in all respects, a new man. And 2 Corinthians 5.17, you probably know this verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. That's what this guy was experiencing, and that's what the disciples were getting to watch. This guy has a new lease on life. He has everything is new. It's fresh. Who knows what he could really see or hear while those demons were making sounds in his head. How do the people respond? that is great. I am so glad that he's been delivered. This is wonderful. No. What does it say? They're scared. The end of that verse says that they were afraid. Same word used for the disciples in the previous section. Only the disciples were in awe. They had the right kind of fear of God. These people they are just scared. They don't know who he is. They don't care who he is. They're just afraid he's going to kill more of their pigs. Verse 16, and those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. And then they began to, here's similar to our word, beg, same root, to plead with him to depart from their region. They're asking Jesus, please go. Please leave. We don't want you here. We don't know what other destruction is going to happen if you stay here. Again, blaming Jesus for the destruction that the demons caused. They were much more concerned about their stuff than they were the spiritual deliverance that Jesus had provided. So here's the surprise. The only hopeless cases in this story are the ones who won't come to Jesus, the ones who want Jesus to leave them alone. There's a sense in which they're the hopeless cases. Not that they couldn't have turned, but they didn't. But this is the great part. It just keeps getting better, the whole story. Jesus did not leave himself without a witness. He, he respected their wishes. He left. He, he and his, his disciples went right back across. It seems that he came across on this particular occasion just for that one guy. He cares about individuals. Any of those of you who are really into Bible study, or you may have a note, Matthew says there were two people demon-possessed. And there very well may have been. But this seems to be the more vocal one. This may have been the the tougher case. This may have been the one who was possessed by many, many demons. So he came for those two, if you will, or that one. He cared about the individual enough to come across that lake. But now he's going to choose his ambassador. Verse 18. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him. Does that word sound familiar yet? Begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. What was the one who was demon-possessed asking for? Let me be with you. And it wasn't just that. This is the exact same phrase that we had. You remember when Jesus called the twelve? Why did he call them? What was the first purpose? Does anybody remember? He called them to be with him. And then he would send them out. Be with me. That's what he was looking for in his 12. And here is a guy who has just been delivered from a bunch of demons. And what does he want to do? He wants to be with Jesus. He wants to go with Jesus. He may even be asking to be one of the, can I be with one of your 12? The boat fits 15. I could be number 14. Whatever his intention, he wanted to be with Jesus. Jesus. And this is something I'd never noticed until I studied it this week. But we have the demons, and they beg Jesus twice. If you'll work with me here on the verb, they pray twice. And Jesus answers their prayer request. And then the townspeople come, and they want Jesus to leave. They beg him to leave. They pray that he will leave. He says, okay. And he grants them their request. And here we have the guy who, to us, other than Jesus, would be the hero of the story. And he wants to go with Jesus. Let me go with you. And Jesus says, no. I'm going to grant the demon's prayer request. I'm going to grant the townspeople's prayer request who don't want me and want to have their pigs instead. But no, you can't come with me. Why? He has something else for him, doesn't he? He's going to appoint him as an ambassador to go bear witness for him. This is different, isn't it? Those of you who've been with us for this series so far in Mark, he he keeps healing people and saying, don't tell anybody. And he heals a leper and he cures a demoniac and he says, don't tell anybody. And this guy, he says, no, you can't come with me. You have to go tell everybody. Why? Well, part of the issue back in this, the region around Galilee is that they thought he was the Messiah and they had an idea that He's going to overthrow Rome. And they had their own ideas of what he should be doing and how he should be doing it and when he should be doing it. And he knew when his time was and he knew that he had come this first time to redeem his people, to rescue them rather than to overthrow Rome. So what's his job? Go and tell. Jesus told the man to go tell his family, his friends, everybody about his healing. Tell them what the Lord has done for you. Warren Risby called this one of the earliest missionaries to the Gentiles. That's what he is. It's just not called that yet. Verse 20, And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him. And all marveled. So here's the actual reference to that area. It's called Decapolis. Deca, you probably know, means ten. So originally there were ten cities, sometimes it was more or less. They were Greek-influenced by culture. They would have been Gentile. Some Jews there, but primarily Gentile cities. And what's he doing? He's telling, not just going home and telling his family and friends. He's going from city to city to city to city. And he's telling everybody what Jesus has done for him. We know from Matthew 4 that many people from the Decapolis followed Jesus. So this guy is spreading the word about who Jesus is. And when we see the capitalists show up, I think it's in chapter 8, there are people coming who want to be healed. How'd they know about who Jesus was? Might have been this guy. Another thing I'd like you to see is that verse 19, Jesus tells him to go tell everybody what the Lord has done for you. And Mark's comment is what Jesus has done for him. He's telling everybody what Jesus did. Jesus is Lord Jesus is God. All that he had done for him. I enjoy reading John Phillips' commentary because he's a good storyteller. He's good with words. So I'm going to share one short paragraph with you. The Lord had done great things for him. He had the scars on his body that testified to the days when he had mutilated himself in his frenzies and to the times when he had been bounded with chains. He was a living epistle to the love of Christ and the power of God. He had been forgiven much, and he loved much. And people marveled, because there could be no denying that a mighty miracle had been wrought in his life. What are we called to do? Acts eight. you are supposed to be Witnesses. I was so glad that Joe was willing to share his testimony of salvation this morning. That's what we're supposed to do. Should we share the gospel? Should we have a gospel presentation? Yes, those are good things. But what are we called to do? Bear witness. Here's what Jesus did for me. Here's how I have changed because of what he's done in me. It's hard to argue with that, isn't it? it have been really hard. He's holding up his arms, his scars, his, his legs. This is all from the way I was. And Jesus... I had never seen him before. He came and he rescued me. And he said, everybody was amazed by what Jesus had done in showing compassion on this man. The five basic ideas that Jesus welcomes hopeless cases. If you've been sitting here today thinking, yeah, that's good for him, but what about me? You don't know what I've done. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what you've thought. But I know that god loves you and that jesus came to die so that you could have forgiveness of sins and eternal life jesus is stronger than satan and demons it's not that they're equally matched jesus is stronger jesus is more powerful demons satan have to do what jesus tells them to do jesus cares more about people than animals pigs in particular And there are some who do and some who don't want to be with Jesus. Do you want to spend time with Jesus? What does your life show? Did you have time for him this week? Did you talk to him? Did you listen to him through his word? I know many of you did. I'm glad you did. Watching online, in this room, if you are not yet a child of God you've not come to him in faith you are not a hopeless case there hasn't been one yet there won't be if there is blood in your veins and breath in your lungs the Holy Spirit can give you grace to repent to turn from your sin and to come to him Jesus welcomes you to come to him and experience salvation and life and hope and peace believers guess what you are not a hopeless case. You say, but I've been trapped in such and such a sin for months or for years or for decades. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he's powerful enough to cast out a bunch of demons, we don't know how many, don't you think he can help you? Don't you think he can give you grace? Don't you think he can give you victory? The same Jesus who rose from the grave That power is at work in us in the Holy Spirit if we are children of God. You are not a hopeless case. Same thing for you. You come to Jesus and you find life and hope and peace. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God is speaking to you listen and obey if there's something that he wants you to do in response to this section of his word today it'll be clear you're not going to be sitting there wondering oh does he want me to do anything it'll be clear there may be something you need to stop there may be something you need to start there may be sin you need to confess and forsake but ask Him to show you how you should respond and then do it. Father, I thank You for Your enabling grace. Lord, I thank You that You're stronger. You are the Creator and You are in charge of Your creation, including angels and Satan and demons. And Lord, You are more powerful than our sin. However much sin we may have, you have more grace. And the blood that was shed by Jesus on the cross is sufficient for these things. And Lord, I thank you that we can find cleansing power in the blood of the Lamb. So I pray for any believer among us, anybody listening or watching. Lord, if there's somebody overtaken in a fault, then we pray that you would rescue that one, that you would use other brothers and sisters to come alongside with a spirit of meekness and fear and see that one come back to you. Lord, for anyone who does not yet know you, is not your child, we pray for you to do what only you can do. Because you are the God who saves. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.